0: We read God's Word in Psalm 51. <clears throat> Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit then will i teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee deliver me from blood guiltiness o god thy god of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness o lord open thy my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thy the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. Thus far, we read God's holy word. Our text is verses 3 and 4. 3 and 4, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee the only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Beloved, in the first two verses of this psalm, David asks for three things, the blotting out of his transgressions, he asks to be washed from his iniquity, he asks to be cleansed from his sin, and he bases his plea upon one thing, God's mercy, which he calls mercy mercy, loving kindness, and tender mercies in the first two verses. That is to say, he asks for free, gratuitous pardon. And now in these next two verses, David deepens his confession of sin and deepens his repentance because a deep and calamitous fall into sin calls for deep repentance and thorough confession. And so David begins in verse 3 with the word for. He's giving here a reason for something in the opening verses. He's not, though, giving a reason for God's forgiveness of him. He's not saying this, cleanse me from my sin for, because I acknowledge my transgressions. God does not cleanse us from our sins because we acknowledge our transgressions. God cleanses us because he is merciful. God forgives because he is merciful. Instead, David here is giving a reason, not for God's forgiveness, but a reason for his plea. Why is he asking this? Why is he asking that God should blot out his transgressions? Why is he asking that God should wash him thoroughly from his iniquity? Why is he asking that God should cleanse him from his sin? Because he knows something. He has come to know something. For I acknowledge my transgressions. That's why I'm asking. That's why I'm bringing this plea before God, because I acknowledge my transgressions. He now recognizes something that he had refused to recognize before. He had, for a long time, as we have seen, lived in Guilty silence, as the psalmist puts it in the Psalter. When I kept guilty silence, Psalter 83. And while he lived in that guilty silence, while he refused to confess his sin before God, he was not ready to make this plea in Psalm 51. One. But now he is awakened to the horror of what he has done through the Holy Spirit, through the prophet Nathan. Now that time of silence is over, and he is ready to acknowledge his sin. He is ready then to ask God for forgiveness. Because, beloved, the one... Who does not acknowledge his sin will not ask God for forgiveness. And the one who will not confess his sin before God is not ready to ask God to blot out his transgressions and to wash and to cleanse him. And the one who hides his sin and covers up his sin and denies his sin and minimizes his sin is not ready to make such a heartfelt plea for mercy that we find in the opening verses of this psalm. And so we have here a confession of sin, an unqualified confession of sin. A confession of sin without excuses, an unqualified confession of sin. Notice then an unqualified confession of sin. Notice first acknowledging our sins, then expressing their evil, and finally defending God's justice. Verse 3 begins this way, For I acknowledge my transgressions. And remember, a transgression is a deliberate act of rebellion against God, and David here speaks of his transgressions. I acknowledge is the normal Hebrew word for I know. I know my transgressions. I have come to know my transgressions and I now know my transgressions. And again, I say, this is a stark contrast between what he had done before. He had kept silence in Psalm 32. That I kept silence has become, I know, I acknowledge. Earlier, he had refused to know. Earlier, he had done everything in his power not to know to suppress the knowledge of his transgressions. Remember his behavior. He commits adultery. He tries to cover up that sin by multiplying his transgressions by committing more sins. He sinned against the 10th commandment, and then the 7th, and then the 8th, and the 6th, and the ninth. Commandments of God's law. He would not confess his sin. And now he says, I acknowledge or I know. And this is, of course, the opposite of ignorance. When God confronted Cain in Genesis 4, verse 9, and said to him, where is Abel thy brother? Cain's answer was, I know not. Which, of course, was a lie. When God confronted David in 2 Samuel 12, David's answer was, I acknowledge my transgressions. I have sinned against the Lord. I know. I know. This, then, is the opposite of minimizing one's transgressions, the opposite of deceit, the opposite of blame-shifting, the opposite of playing the victim when caught. It's not, I did not realize, but I know. There are men and women who, when they are caught in sin, Plead ignorance. They pretend not to know. They say, I did not know that what I did was wrong or sinful. David is not in that category here. I acknowledge my transgressions. He had to because his transgressions were blatantly obvious. To anyone who knew about them. They were not these hidden errors of the heart, which perhaps he could say, I don't know those things, who can understand his errors, he says, uh, says elsewhere in Psalm 19, but these were deliberate transgressions of God's commandments. He could not be ignorant of his adultery with Bathsheba. He could not be ignorant of his murder of Uriah. He tried to deny those things for up to a year and now he says I know. I acknowledge my transgressions. And that's what we must do when we confess and acknowledge our sins. When we steal, we know. When we lie, we know. When we swear and curse, we know. When we drink too much alcohol and become drunk, we know. When we speak a cruel word to a spouse, we no. When we hurt our brother or sister deliberately, we know. When we dishonor our parents, we know. We can't say, I don't know. I didn't realize. I know. I acknowledge my transgressions. And when we are ready to acknowledge our transgressions, and not before, we're ready to ask God to blot them Out to wash us from our iniquity, to cleanse us from our sin. But this translation in verse 3 of I acknowledge is also an excellent one because David here is not merely expressing an intellectual knowledge of sin, but he goes one step further. A person might say, I know that I am a sinner. He might have a perfectly orthodox confession of the doctrine of sin. He might be able to defend the doctrine of total depravity against all Arminians. But for him, sin is a merely abstract idea. He's not willing To confess particular sins. David says, I acknowledge. If, in the nine months of David's guilty silence mentioned in Psalm 32, someone had asked him, David, do you believe that you are a sinner? He would have said, Yes, of course. But if the question had come in this form, David, are you an adulterer? And specifically, David, did you lie with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife? He would have angrily denied it. Or if they had asked him, David, did you sign the death warrant for Uriah? And arrange for his death at the hands of the Ammonites in battle, he would have angrily denied it because he at that time did not know or acknowledge his transgressions. It's easy to confess sin in general. It's easy to confess sinfulness as an abstract idea. It's much more difficult because our pride prevents it. It's much more difficult to confess specific sin. And these words, I acknowledge, are the end of such denial. I confess, he says remember from 2 Samuel 12 that David makes a confession, I have sinned against the Lord, but that there is a specific content to that confession. Remember God says in that chapter, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? And David's response to that is, I acknowledge my transgressions, I have sinned against the Lord. And God said to David, thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite. And David says, I acknowledge my transgressions, I have sinned against the Lord. And God says to David, thou hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and David says, I acknowledge my transgressions. I have sinned against the Lord. And God says, Thou didst this thing secretly. And David said, I acknowledge my transgressions. I have sinned against the Lord. And God said, By this thou hast given great occasion the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And David says, I acknowledge my transgressions. I have sinned against the Lord. And notice, beloved, that not one word of the accusation of God through the prophet Nathan, not one word does David deny or contradict He does not say, I will admit to this, but I will not acknowledge that part, and I will deny that aspect of the accusation of God. But David's confession here is full and open and unqualified by excuses or prevarications. I have sinned against the Lord, I acknowledge my transgressions. I acknowledge all of them. And that also must be our confession. When we confess our sins, when we say, I acknowledge my transgressions, we mean, I acknowledge specific things that I have done. And I am sorry for them. When someone says to you, I am sorry, the natural follow-up question is, you are sorry for what? You're sorry for what? What exactly are you apologizing for? What exactly are you confessing? And then you have to add content to that apology. I am sorry that I was mean to my brother or my sister in this specific way. I am sorry that I used those specific cruel words. I am sorry that I disrespected my mother when I did this particular thing. I am sorry that I misbehaved in church or in catechism class. I am sorry that I lied about this particular thing. I am sorry I stole this particular object. My confession of sin and your confession of sin must be specific. I acknowledge my transgressions. You might wonder, well, why does David acknowledge his sin, his transgressions, at this particular time? Why does he say, I acknowledge my transgressions after nine months of keeping silence? What has happened? The answer is verse 3b, and my sin is ever before me. For nine months to a year, David's sin was not before him. Yes, it was there. You might say it was in the background of his mind. And he had tried to hide it for many months, and to a degree he had succeeded in silencing his conscience, at least in part. And then Nathan comes. And Nathan brings the word of God. And by means of that word, God awakens David's conscience. And Nathan says to David, Thou art the man. And lists all of these transgressions of which David was guilty. And when that happened, David's conscience went into overdrive, you might say. The horror of his sin seized him. My sin, he says, is ever, is always, is constantly before me. And that's a horrible, horrible experience. Wherever David turned, he heard the accusing voice of his conscience. Adulterer, murderer, liar. Wherever David looked, he was reminded of his sin. He sat upon his throne. He remembered his sin. He sat down to eat his meals. He remembered his sin. He went to bed. He remembered his sin. He had nightmares about his sin while he slept. He woke up in the morning, and his sin was ever before him, accusing him and tormenting him and saying to him, Thou art the man, David. Adulterer murderer liar and much more and the canons describe this experience of david in canons 5 5 by such enormous sins however they very highly offend god incur a deadly guilt grieve the holy spirit interrupt the exercise of faith, very grievously wound their consciences, and sometimes lose this sense of God's favor for a time until on their returning into the right way of serious repentance, the light of God's fatherly countenance again shines upon them. Look at that list in Canons 5.5 5, and think of which parts in that list best describe David's experience of my sin is ever before me? David incurred a deadly guilt. David interrupted the exercise of faith. David very grievously wounded his conscience. And David lost the sense of God's favor. And that must be, beloved, a warning to us. When we are contemplating committing sin, we think, I'm going to commit a deliberate transgression against God. Remember this one day we might be saying, my sin is ever, always, constantly before me. We might be saying, as David does here, my sin haunts me. My sin makes my life bitter. My sin oppresses my conscience. I cannot get that sin out of my mind. And that sin might give you pleasure for a time, but it gives us a sense of guilt, and perhaps even a long-term guilt, because a grievous conscience, beloved, takes time, maybe even years, to heal from that wound. And God causes us then to remember our sins, So that they're always before us, in order to humble us, in order to cause us to fear committing that sin again, and so that God's mercy might be all the more precious to us when He does indeed forgive us. He also calls His actions evil. I have done this evil in thy sight. And, of course, he has a specific evil in mind. Here, then, is the fourth word that David, who is now penitent, uses to describe his actions. Transgression, which is deliberate, willful, rebellion, Iniquity, which is crooked, perverse, twisted behavior. Sin, which is a missing of the mark of God's glory. And now, forth evil. And that word evil means something morally wicked as well as something destructive and harmful. And so it captures in one word the wickedness and harmfulness of sin. And David says, I did evil. I did this evil. When David took Bathsheba into his bedroom, he did evil. When David tried to make Uriah drunk in order to cover up his sin, he did evil. When David sent Uriah to his death, he did evil. And that must be our confession too, when we confess our sin before God. I did evil. Evil. I did evil when I was mean to my brother or my sister. I did evil when I spoke or wrote those cruel words. I did evil when I disrespected my mother or my father. I did evil when I misbehaved in church or in catechism. I did evil when I lied or when I stole. But our pride will often not permit us to use such words. It's not that bad, surely, we say to ourselves. That's an exaggeration to call my actions evil. But that's the word we must use. We must not say, I meant well, or it wasn't my fault, or my heart was in the right place or it was her fault, or it was his fault, or a misunderstanding, or no big deal, we say it was evil. It was a transgression. It was rebellion against God. It was iniquity. It was twisted, perverse behavior. It was sin. It was a missing of the mark, a deliberate missing of the mark. It was evil. It was wicked and harmful. And notice, too, that David speaks here about the utter boldness, shamelessness, and foolishness of his actions because he did evil in God's sight. Literally, in thine eyes. And that's striking because the sin of David, for the most part, was private. It happened in his bedchamber, away from prying eyes. It happened as he wrote a letter and delivered it only to Joab, so only Joab knew the content of that letter. And Uriah goes to his death not knowing the treachery that the king has committed against him. But someone was watching. Someone saw. Someone knew. God did. And David knew that, of course, because David had written another psalm, Psalm 139, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. And so David could have confessed the doctrine of God's omniscience. God knows everything. God sees everything. And yet... He knew that abstractly, but practically he lived as if God did not see. God knew what was in David's heart. His lusting for Bathsheba. God knew what happened in David's bedroom, his adultery with Bathsheba. God knew what David wrote to Joab commanding the murder of Uriah, and David knew that God knew. And that's what makes sin so foolish. And really, that's what makes sin a kind of madness. What kind of fool, an utterly shameless fool, commits sin in broad daylight? And what kind of person commits sin before the very eyes of God? That's what David did. And yet we say that to ourselves. I can commit this sin, and my husband won't know, and my wife won't know, and my parents won't know, and the elders won't know. And that may be true, of course, but God knows. And when we commit sin, then, we throw the knowledge of God's omniscience out the window, as it were. We sin before the eyes of God, who knows absolutely everything. And who sees everything that we do, and even knows everything that we think in our hearts And who is able then to expose us when it pleases him? Just as he exposed David at the appointed time. If you ask people why David's actions were so evil, you might get a variety of responses. One might say it was evil because David took advantage of Bathsheba. Or it was evil because David destroyed the marriage of Uriah and Bathsheba. Or it was evil because David shed innocent blood, the blood of one of his loyal servants. But the real reason for the evilness is that David sinned against God. And that's what he emphasizes in verse 4. Against thee, the only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That's what makes sin the evil that it is. It is committed against God. That the neighbor is hurt is a secondary thing. It is committed against God. And here we have the opposite of what the world thinks. The world does not care about sin. The world does not judge actions in terms of sin and righteousness. The world does not ask the question, Is this action obedience or is this action disobedience against God? The world says, will this help or will this harm another person? And as long as I'm not harming another person, the world says, I can do whatever I want, and what God says is completely irrelevant. God's commandments have no meaning for the world. And so, if two people want to be in bed together, who cares about the seventh commandment? Or, if someone wants to worship an idol, who cares about the first or the second commandment? But David goes higher than what happens to the neighbor and says this against thee, thee only, have I sinned. That's what he says in 2 Samuel 12. I have sinned against the Lord. Not, I have sinned against Bathsheba, which of course is true. He did sin against Bathsheba. Not, I have sinned against Uriah. Again, true, he did sin against Uriah. But, I have sinned against the Lord. And that's also what Nathan says to David, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? And again, thou hast despised me. And again, by this thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And so Bathsheba and Uriah were harmed by the evil actions of David. But David's sin is against the Lord. Because sin is by definition against God. That's what sin is. When David lusted after Bathsheba, he sinned against the God who had said, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. When David took Bathsheba into his bedroom, he sinned against the God who had said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. When David covered up his sin and sought to deceive others concerning that sin, he sinned against the God who had said, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And when David killed Uriah, he sinned against the God who had said, Thou shalt not kill. And that's true also of us. When we are mean to our brother or sister, we sin against God who says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And our confession then must be against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. When we speak or write cruel words against another, we sin against God who says, thou shalt not kill, not even with thy words. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. When we disrespect our parents, we sin against God who says to us, Honor thy father and thy mother. And so we confess, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. When we misbehave in church, we sin against God who says that we must remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And thus we confess, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That's to the prodigal son in Luke 15. I have sinned against heaven, he said, that first. And so we never really understand how dreadfully wicked we are and how dreadfully wicked our sin is until we see it as against God, against the infinitely glorious, spotlessly holy, inflexibly righteous, almighty God who made the heaven and the earth, and against our good, merciful, gracious Father. Remember again Canons 5.5, By such enormous sins, however, and what comes first? They very highly offend God. That's the main thing. They very highly offend God. They incur a deadly guilt, and then this, they grieve the Holy Spirit. God was very highly offended, when David lusted after Bathsheba. And God was very highly offended when David took Bathsheba into his bedroom to commit adultery with her. And God was very highly offended when David plotted and executed the murder of Uriah. And God was very highly offended by David's lying deceiving, and covering up his sin. And thus the Bible says in 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And God is very highly offended by our sins also. The things that we do contrary to God's commandments very highly offend God. They are displeasing to him. The purpose, the purpose of David's confession is the justification of God. This confession honors God and glorifies God because it acknowledges God to be the righteous judge of sin. And thus we have in verse 4 the word that, which means so that or with the purpose that. Why does David confess that he has sinned only against God? That or so that thou mightest be justified. Why does David confess that that he has sinned only against God, that so that thou mightest be clear. God must be justified when he speaks. And that word justified means to be right, or to have a just cause, or to have a righteous character. When God justifies us, he declares as the judge that we conform to his standard, the standard of his law. We are justified on the basis of Christ's righteousness received by faith alone. When God is justified, he declares himself and proves himself to be righteous, and others declare and prove him to be righteous. And so David here is acknowledging the perfect righteousness of God. He's not like certain defendants who come before a judge and say, I refuse to recognize the judge. But he says, God must be justified when he speaks. And he must be clear when he judges. And the idea here of being clear is not easily understood, but rather innocent, pure, holy, and undefiled. So God is clear. God is a perfectly unimpeachable, incorruptible judge does not accept bribes, does not give corrupt verdicts, does not render unjust rulings. He is clear, he is spotless, he is holy in his judging. And so David here is saying, as a sinner who now recognizes his sin, I recognize the perfect justice of God. When he speaks, he is justified. When he judges, he is clear. And notice what God has spoken. Again, there's a context to this. What has God spoken? God has said, "'Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house.'" And what's David's response? That is just. God has spoken, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. And David says, that is just. And God has spoken, thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David says, God is just there is therefore no complaining about the consequences of sin no objection to God's chastisement of him why not because God is just god is holy god is righteous And that belongs also to true repentance and to an unqualified confession of sin, accepting consequences which God might mete out upon us without murmuring. I deserve this. I deserve a lot more. God is a just judge. What he has spoken is just. I will submit to his righteous Judgments. And the conclusion, then, beloved, is this. Because sin is committed against God, against God alone, He alone, therefore, has the jurisdiction and prerogative to punish sin as the righteous judge or to pardon sin as the merciful God. And that is the good news then of this word of God to us. God is the righteous judge who forgives sin. Sin is committed against him and he has the prerogative to forgive. And that's why David comes before God. He knows God to be a righteous judge. He knows God to be a merciful God. And that's the only reason why we would dare come before him with this confession, with an unqualified confession of sin. We come before this God, and we say to this God, have mercy upon me. O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. The wicked will never come that way to God because they love their sin. And more than that, they do not know God. One who does not know God, one who does not know the mercy of God, will never come with this confession upon his or her lips. But we who know the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, and who are confident that God will be merciful to penitent sinners, we come. We come to God and we say to God, Father, I have sinned. I have transgressed thy commandments. I have committed iniquity. I have done evil. And here are all the particulars and all the details of my sins. I hide nothing. I confess everything. And I am sorry. Blot out my transgressions wash me from my iniquity cleanse me from my sin and do so for the sake of Jesus Christ and the father says to us as we confess our sin to him in this way I know I know my child I know I know all of your sins. I know all the details of your sins. I know everything that you have done. And for the sake of Jesus Christ, who suffered and died for your sins, I freely pardon you, not because you have confessed them, but because I am merciful and I delight to show mercy. And so I hold nothing against you. I graciously receive you. Go in peace. Amen. Our Father in heaven, it is a wonder that thou art merciful to penitent sinners. We have nothing of ourselves to bring before thee, we have broken thy commandments. We have no excuse because we know what thy commandments require of us. We cannot make up for our sins by any works that we might perform. And so we come to thee as the psalmist did, seeking that thou shouldst blot out our transgressions and wash us thoroughly from our iniquities and cleanse us from our sin. Because, O Father, we acknowledge our transgressions before Thee, and our sin, our sins are ever before us. Grant us, O Father, the assurance that our sins are forgiven, that they are put away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And give unto us the joy of our salvation, for Christ's sake. Amen.